Star Wars Monthly Monday, number 18. As we sit down to record tonight's show, uh, news has just reached me of the death of Fess Parker. And I know it's not Star Wars related, but uh, I just wanted to uh, express my condolences to the uh, friends and family and loved ones of Fess Parker. You know, back, you know, Chris and I are way too young to you know, have seen, uh, like, the, you know, Davy Crockett first run or anything like that. But, you know, that was in its own sort of way, that was almost like the Star Wars phenomenon of, like, my dad's generation. I remember my dad telling me, you know, what a, what a big deal in his childhood that Davy Crockett was, you know, with the with the coonskin cap phenomenon and all that. And uh, about a year or so ago, I finally had occasion to watch the Davy Crockett films. And, you know, they, they hold up. They were really enjoyable. They were just good, old-fashioned, clean family entertainment. And uh, I really, really enjoyed them. And uh, when that news reached me today, I, I thought that that was really sad. You know, uh, Fess Parker, he was just a, a real class act. And so I wanted to uh, just to mention that. And now, the Empire Strikes Back. Sit still, feel the force, be the force, the force is life. When can I use the force to crush Vader like a bug? Patience, young Jedi. Walk you must before run you can. Learn English you should before I teach you do. A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away, a great adventure took place. I'm going to regret this. This is ridiculous. Sword fight. Star Tours announces the boarding of the Endor Express, non-stop star speeder service to the moon of Endor. All passengers, please prepare for immediate boarding. No! Cannot get your ship off. <laughs> Lando Calrissian is a positive role model in the realm of science fiction fans. Fuck Lando Calrissian. And now... Together by live simulation via the internet, Scott Gardner and Chris Honeywell. We would be honored if you would join us. The Empire Strikes Back. Mm-hmm. Not Episode Five. The Empire Strikes Back. No the, special edition, neither. No this sp- is the real deal. And I gotta tell you, when I rewatched it for today, I watched. Um, it's. I don't want. It, it's a fan film, I guess. It's called uh, Building Empire, and it's the the guy has done a, a one of Star Wars and of Jedi, and the movie plays, but he plays alternate takes. It's sort of the ultimate commentary track. 
So and you blew my mind today telling me that the the Jedi one was out because here I've been, been waiting done for all a while. Yeah, see, I've been waiting to hear about the Empire one. I didn't even know that one was done, let mm-hmm. alone that the Jedi one was done. So, man, I've got to see that. There, I, uh, what was the name of the Star Wars one? Because um, he had it. Jeez, like, I'm at a loss. It's Yeah, uh, I can't remember, but it's excellent. And uh, it was like Star Wars Revisited, maybe. Or that, yeah, no. that's it. Star Wars Revisited. That's it. Yeah. And then he did. And then the second one was Building Empire. His name's Jambe. I'm hoping I'm re- pronouncing it right. It's G A M B. So it's either Jam or Jambe Davdar. D A V D A R. So. Oh, you know what? Speaking of names. Hi, I'm Scott Gardner, and I'm Chris Honeywell. <laughs> we're two true freaks coming to that's you that's kind in... of important we probably should have thrown that out at the beginning <laughs> yeah, if they don't know by now then they ain't show, never gonna know just like they used to say about comic books every show is potentially somebody's first so there you go alright well yeah. good that you're popping your cherry on the Empire Strikes Back you should maybe start with Star Wars though <laughs> you know that's what I would say that's what I did and that's what I recommend Hey, but this is most Star Wars fans' favorite movie, so they, yeah. they may, you, know, you never know, they may be jumping in going, oh, somebody's talking about Empire, That's I gotta true. listen to this, and then they got this far and go, who are these assholes? Anyway. <laughs> well, yeah, and, and so, well, anyway, I watched Building Empire, which basically you're watching the whole movie, and it's a little bit of, like, director's commentary, behind the scenes, and pop-up video without the annoying poppy-up stuff. It's, it's right. not as intrusive. And uh, also the, the one he played, uh, he doesn't do the, the, you know, the extended version or anything like that. He does the good classic Empire. And boy, I loved it. it he, I mean, he even throws in where, the, you know, the, the frames from the comic book that, you know, don't appear in the movie and the, those storylines. Oh, neat. Yeah. Very neat. Yeah. So he basically, he basically plumbed every um every version of of empire to do this including the super 8 versions he's even found where little bits of dialogue or different takes are a little bit different you know and um you know plays the super 8 version or the version that was on the story of record has some different lines in it that's right. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And he also the one that always jumped out to me was uh, during the carbon freezing sequence. Three um, PO, three PO's line is a little bit longer because in the movie he says, "I don't want to die in the back of a demented Wookiee," and in the um, in the radio or in the uh, record, right? He says, uh, "No, I think that is what the line is. I think it's in the movie. It's shorter. It gets, I think it's I, I don't want to die, or I'm not ready to die. But in, on the record, it's I'm not ready to die. Now here, on the back of a demented Wookiee, or and, so, something." And, and just that watching fact. that, they they pointed that out. But in fact, they said a lot of people think this is cut. This line was cut off. It's just lowered way down in the. It's still there. It's oh, way okay. down in the mix for some reason. And there were a lot of scenes like this. There was one yeah. where um. Where Leia said, you you know, we have to go back. And then she's like, I know where Luke is. And if you watch it, you can see her jaw moving. You can see her jaw moving, but not her lips. It doesn't quite match up with, you know, right. I know where Luke is. And then they show the well, Super 8 was... version and she says, you know, we have to go back. And then they say something else and she goes, we have to go back. And it matches right up with her jaw. So she said we had to go back twice. 
but... that's the nice thing about back in the day when we used to get those story of records and stuff like that. Uh-huh. I, I have a feeling I could be dead wrong about this, but I have a feeling that in today's world, you know, with with the Internet and, and all the fan edits and all the different things that are out there that I'll bet that those story of kind of records for like Star Wars and, and other movies are probably not that big of a deal to most people. Right. Because they figure, ah, you know, I can I can go to Walmart and buy the movie for, you know, 10 bucks. But those things in their own way are almost like DVD extras because they do often have alternate takes of lines and lines that were cut and things like that. I can distinctly remember on the the one for uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, the one that that's not, you know, doesn't have any narration. Right. That one there, the the part where Indy's in the Well of Souls, and he says, uh, "Why don't you come on down here? I'll show you." To Belloc when he's in the Well of the Souls. Right. That line is is a completely different take on the album, and I think it's actually a better take than the one that winds up in the movie. Why don't you come on down and look? I'll show you. It's fantastic. Thank you, my friend. I think we are all very comfortable up here. So, once more, Jones. What was briefly yours is now mine. What a fitting end to your life's pursuits. You're about but the thing about those records is they probably that you know i mean you could sort of replicate them by taking the dvd and bleeding the sound off them but i get the feeling and it's super nerdy to to, if you're gonna appreciate this but you know let's face it we're super nerdy and a lot of the people listen to us are super nerdy i I think that you know for those records they, they went into the studio with raw tracks and mixed those suckers from scratch right for the record so they are, you know, they're different than the movie. They're, they're the raw materials of the movie put back together. They're almost like a remix, right? That, if you want to put it in a modern context, sure. Especially the Raiders, that Raiders of the Lost Ark one. That one really, that one, you know, you could tell someone's like, let's try to do this all with sound effects and not with a narrator, which Star Wars would have been possible too, because it was <clears throat> sort of burned into everybody's brain anyway. So listening to it was just sort of an enhancing reliving experience but um yeah i never owned the empire um record until recently i never had that as a kid i had oh, the really? star wars oh, and, the Je- and, and the jedi story of records but never empire till i was in college i picked up a copy of it i love the empire one yeah i really really do i love the narration in it because the the narrator in the first one you know for star wars he he was all right and everything, but I don't know. Somehow his voice just isn't as cool to me as uh, as Malachi Throne. There's something about his voice that just works, right? Because when I when I'll watch the movie now, I, it's his voice that I hear in the in the opening crawl. You know when I'm when I'm reading it and everything. I just can't watch that movie and not hear his voice in certain parts, you know, saying some of the narration and stuff, because I just listened to that record a zillion times, you know? It is a dark time for the rebellion. Although the Death Star has been destroyed, Imperial troops have driven the rebel forces from their hidden base and pursued them across the galaxy. 
evading the dreaded Imperial Starfleet. A group of freedom fighters led by Luke Skywalker has established a new secret base on the remote ice world of Hoth. The evil Lord Darth Vader, obsessed with finding young Skywalker, dispatches thousands of remote probes into the far reaches of space. Speaking of cherries being popped and sound quality and stuff like that, um, I think it's important to point out I hope we sound different to people. I hope we sound uh, much nicer and clearer. Our voices and sound deeper. I think we finally underwent yeah. the change, if you know what I mean. <laughs> I was wondering what well, those would... funny hairs were, you know? Ew. Yeah, that's well, what I, I wanted thought. To give... <laughs> I wanted to give credit where credit was due that, that you, sir shelled oh. out and uh, and upgraded all of our equipment and we are operating with real swanky official what the hell would you call this it's almost these like are, like radio these are studio, studio microphones they are professional yeah. studio microphones which i will tell other podcasters out there i don't know what you're can be gotten for a very reasonable price on the internet's I would not suggest going to music shops because going to music shops, I was seeing these things over twice what I got them for on the on the infranets. And, uh, <laughs> boy, they really make a, a big difference, you know. Oh, yeah, we, we got the sexy voice now. Yeah, and really... I love it. You know, and really they were ungod- as ungodly as ex- expensive as I'd had it in my mind that they were. So I'm very happy about that. Well, I was thrilled when when I got that big old box in the mail about what was that about a week ago? I think I was like because I, I I opened it and because I like I was telling you off the air, you know, I shook the box and and hear this rattly metal sound. I'm going, oh, wait a minute, this isn't comic books. I had no idea what it could be, and open it up and here's all this equipment. And of course, know, yeah, right up until that, you were telling me about how your postman's been mangling all your mail that's been getting to you, which is worrying <laughs> the right. hell out of me. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. Yeah. Well, thankfully, she didn't try to fold and mutilate. Good luck this with that. By trying to, yeah, it was too way too big to fit into the mailbox. So she actually had to get her lazy ass out of the mail vehicle and bring it to the fucking Excellent. door for a change. Excellent. Nice. Yep. I'm going to tell everybody, even if you're sending me one comic book from now, send it in like a <laughs> giant like refrigerator box so I can make sure it doesn't get stuffed into the mailbox. T- tape it to a stack of bricks and and send it to him. <laughs> well, I still like to do that with those uh, postage those paid. Reply yeah. Thing. yeah. Yeah. Those postage paid things you get out like out of the middle of a magazine, uh-huh. tape it to a brick and send it to him. <laughs> That's cruel as hell. <laughs> oh my God. We're like five minutes into our empire strikes back show and we are yeah, yeah, so ahead. off topic. So where are we going with this one? So anyway, man, uh, you know what I was thinking about? 30 years. I know. Oh, my God. That's right. It was 1980, wasn't it? It was 1980. Yeah. I mean, next... uh, Let me see. This is going to come out, what? Top of April, right? So next month, man, 30 years. Amazing. It just blows my mind. I mean... uh, I mean, do you, do you remember, like, what was going on with you at the time? Because I, I kind of remember where I was in my life and, and some of the big things that were going on at the time. Well, I mean, Empire, I was living out in the solar house, you know? Uh-huh. And, I mean, that was right on, I would say, like, the cusp of, like, my parents' divorce, you know? So it was right around that time. 
Um, I don't. Th- it hadn't happened since then because I remember the whole family went to see uh, Empire Strikes Back. You know, that was a big, big family event. You know, everybody was waiting to see that. Right. I don't think people really realize just how big a hype it was, and you know, leading leading up, you know, the, from the phenomena of Star Wars. Unless you lived it, you really just. You know, you can compare it. You can only compare it to stuff that goes on nowadays. But you know, it was sort of the first. You know, it was that first movie right. that just sort of completely captured everybody's imagination. Like, like we've said before, it was more similar to the Beatles than anything else. So, you know, this movie coming along, everybody was ready for it, and the unbelievable thing is it lived up and surpassed the hype which is something that doesn't really happen much anymore you know right yeah you know that's the thing now that you say that it's, that's a good point is that i would say the empire at least to my recollection was among the first of what you could kind of consider the the modern way that movie trailers are done today because even Star Wars, as, as awesome a movie as Star Wars is, look at some of the original trailers and they're kind of boring. Yeah. You know, there's that there's that one that has a soundtrack under it that makes it sound like it's has something to do with, like, 2001. It's very... Somber and dumb. Yes. Dumb, yeah. Dumb, dumb. yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but then you get to Empire... And it's, you know, I, I think every trailer I ever saw for that, even the one, there's that one that's a little bit silly that doesn't show any moving images. It's all static pictures. It's like profile shots of the actors uh-huh. and stuff. Even that one is pretty damn exciting, and it doesn't even show you anything. So I, I just, you know, I was super psyched for that movie. And it's like uh, I was talking to uh, George Kirstick the other day. And talking about Tron, you know, and he and I are both ready for you know, Tron, re- oh, the new yeah, Tron movie. Super excited. And I told him, you know, no joke. I said, I'm, I, this is the most excited I've been for a movie since The Empire Strikes Back. And he knew exactly what I was talking about, you know, because that that movie, you know, this movie, Empire is such a touchstone for people of, of our generation. He knew exactly the, the point I was making because... Man, everybody was psyched for for Empire. You know, everybody I knew that that lived through that experience. You know, it was it was just such a an event. You know, well, yeah, because <laughs> Star Wars had invented something new, and here comes Empire, and people are sort of hoping for it to top it, expand on it, and come up with its own new stuff. Right, which it did in Spades. You know, I mean, just just the character of Yoda was. I mean, now now people are used to the CGI Yoda and everything, but, uh, you know, and I remember it. I looked all over for it, and I couldn't find a U- – amazingly, I couldn't find a YouTube clip of Siskel and Ebert when they first reviewed Empire. And th- that's what they went off about was, you know, Yoda, how, how they made this puppet so lifelike and his expressions – so apt to his emotions and his eyes right. being so expressive and and I remember my like my mother my mother was, my mother actually like had a cat until recently named Yoda so <laughs> so she you know I remember when we walked away from the movie that's all she wanted to talk about she thought Yoda was the coolest thing in the world you know 
Well, you know, people will sometimes, you know, quite often lately, will give Lucas a, a hard time for some of his eccentricities, like in the, the prequel trilogy and stuff. But really, when you think about it, I think his eccentricities really trace back to The Empire Strikes Back and the fact that here was a major character in this movie that's a Muppet, you know? And he himself said that right up until the movie premiered, they weren't sure if it was going to work, you know, yep. because he said if Yoda didn't work, the movie wasn't going to work. You know, if people just looked at it and said, oh, that's Sesame Street, yeah, haha, then the movie was going to fall apart. And I think it's just, I, I think it's a, a, a tribute to not only George's imagination and, and vision and all that, but uh, Frank, you know, Oz. Frank Oz, man. Oh my God, just well, unreal. I mean, because you buy it. I mean, I don't know about anybody else, but I buy Puppet Yoda. You know, I I totally do. He's he's completely alive and real to me, and uh, and that's just amazing because well, it was really funny. Uh huh. Uh, um, Lucas was kind of afraid that that he was going to have trouble with Frank Oz. Because, well, he wanted Jim Henson at first, but he was busy. Right. Imagine telling George Lucas you're busy for the Star Wars sequel, but he said you know Frank Oz would be really good. <laughs> And Lucas was afraid because Frank Oz was the voice of Miss Piggy. And he didn't want people to be like, oh, it's Miss Piggy, you know, but just in a, in a green suit. But then once, once he got going, you know, he became the character so much that, you know, they couldn't imagine anybody else as Yoda. So that, you know, and I think they would have had trouble if they would have gotten another voice as Yoda with the CGI, selling the CGI Yoda, you know. They had to have Frank Oz in there. He, you know, it wouldn't have it wouldn't have worked without him. I think the puppet Yoda worked in the episode one, too. I love that puppet Yoda. Yeah, that's the thing. Ultimately, I, I wish that they had stuck with with puppet Yoda. You know, through through the whole thing, I, I wish that that all incarnation just just to remain consistent. And even though it would have been a complete pain in the ass, and for all I know, they might might have even had to rebuild the thing. That if they were going to have Jabba appear in the prequel stuff like they did, I, I think that they should have stuck with, you know, the uh, a big the original suit. puppet. Yeah, they probably yeah. just didn't want to go through the whole uh, <laughs> process of. Uh... Do, right. doing that all over again i'm sure d d did it once you know had, it was very hot and sweaty for a lot of puppeteers who had to sit inside a foam rubber jabba suit but, uh, but for me I, I i remember the events around empire you know what was going on for me personally because that was at the time where uh you know my we were still living in carthage we right in over on West End Ave and everything. But that was that time when my grandfather just kind of got a wild hair up his ass and decided it was time for a change in, in their lives. And they up and sold their house and that plot of land to my uncle Gary, you know, because that's where Gary would eventually uh, build his restaurant right. and everything. And they up and sold that and, uh, and moved to Georgia. And, you know, little did I know that that wasn't going to last for very long. They ended up coming back to New York pretty fast, really. And but as a living kid, right you know, down the street. Is, yeah. 
you know, time is weird and distorted when you're a kid, you know, the you know, summers seem like they're eternal and stuff. And it just seemed like they were gone forever because when they moved, you know, Randy went with them because he was still, you know, at the age where he was, you know, like, you know, well, he was 12, like we were. So he was still living at home and everything. So when they up and moved and took Randy with them and all, you know, that was, that was a big piece of my life, you know? And, uh, I remember being really sad and everything and going to see empire, you know, over and over again, but always going, you know, with whoever I went with, but never getting to see it with Randy. But that's why I was so excited that that movie played for as long as it did. Cause it played at that, the local theater for a long, long time. If I recall, it was close to a year. No, I think it was actually like it could two have been, years. It could have been longer than that. Yeah, Star was Wars was there for a, like at least a couple of years. Yeah. But when they finally came back, that was the first thing that Randy and I did together was we went to see Empire. Because I believe he had, I'm pretty, I'm almost positive he had seen it by then, but we hadn't seen it together. So we went and saw it and that, that was really cool. That was one of my, that's one of my favorite Empire movie, uh, moment, uh memories rather was finally getting to go see it with him because it's weird and I've, I've probably talked about this before but for some odd reason i could remember going to the first showing and i, I remember only a couple images i can remember waiting in a line that went around the building like two or three times yeah. at least all the way around the theater waiting just to get to buy tickets to get in i remember that and the anticipation and all that, but I don't remember the event. I mean, I remember dad being there, but beyond that, I can't remember anybody. If it was, maybe it was just me and him. I don't remember my, my clearest memory really was the second time I saw the movie. Cause you and I went, it was me, you and my dad. And I, it, you know, empire may have very well been the first movie that you and I went to together. It very well could have been. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it may have been. And so that, you know, that was a big deal for me, you know, because that's when we were we were really first starting to hang out together and stuff. And that, that I thought that was really cool. 30 years and ago. That, yeah, man, it just blows my uh-huh. mind. But it's weird how I can't remember the first time. I, I really don't. I remember that long ass line because I know that we went the day it came out or, or maybe the weekend. If it because it, I'm thinking it probably premiered on a on a Friday, but I'm not sure. But whatever the first weekend day was or weekend evening or whatever, that's when we went to see it. And it just, oh, my God, rocked my world hard. Now, I remember going to see it one time. You know, I don't know if you remember this, but a lot of times in the summer, remember my Aunt Joanne would come up from Pennsylvania. And she and her husband had that Winnebago. Yep. And they would, they would take me for, you know, usually a couple weeks or whatever with them and we'd go off and go different places and one of the places we always used to go was they would take me to uh can't remember what the hell the name of that town was but it was right outside of albany new york and it was these uh friends of theirs uh the hearts it was the hart family and they were a um sprint car racing family they were they were big into the sprint car racing and we'd go and we'd stay at their place and all. And they were really, really nice people. And I can remember they took me into Albany one day. And we went to this really nice, fancy, old-fashioned theater, like with the, like the statuary on the wall and uh-huh. the curtain that parted and, you know, the whole nine yards. It was It was like going back to, like, the 30s to watch a movie. It was great. And we went and we saw Empire. 
and I think whoever whoever it was that took me, I can't remember if it was my aunt or if it was her friends or whoever it was, but whoever took me, it was their first time seeing it, and they were just blown away by it. Like they cried when when Han got froze in the in the carbon freezing chamber and all that. It was great, and I'd already seen it, so you know it's like I think they had to hush me in certain parts because I was like, oh, well, this is the part where this, and they're yeah. like, shut up. <laughs> so I was a kid, you know, just really excited about it. But yeah, that that was that was really my memories about about going to see the movie. But yeah, well, in Jesus. a lot of ways, it reminds me a lot of Harry Potter books. <laughs> Because yeah. it was something that you grew up with. Like when, we, when, when seeing Empire, it added another dimension. Star Wars was a good time story, you know. Empire added depth to it, you know. It, it, it was something that it had a romance to it. It had character development. And none of it was boring to kids. <laughs> Which was something new for me, you know, in the context of a science fiction movie. Having all that. You know, have, having a love story and a little love triangle going on would have usually really annoyed me, but it worked in, you know, I cared about those characters in Empire. So it was, you know, one of my first introductions into, you know, I don't, a more sophisticated film, I guess, you know. It was it was definitely a step up, you know, in, in every aspect. Mm-hmm. And, and that, yeah, I'll, I'll definitely agree with that. I think that's one of the things that... that works for empire is that you know star wars it you know for all its greatness and everything i don't want to say it's a shallow movie that's not really what i mean but it, it's pretty much just a straight up adventure movie yeah you know it's 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 a it's a flash gordon serial you know on on the big screen whereas empire is is a bit meatier you know it has more of a it, of a story and it has there's more of uh, drama. It shades in all the characters that exactly. That, yeah, that that's been what I'm looking for. Yeah, introduced to because Darth Vader was a very one-dimensional character in Star Wars. Darth Vader yes. was, you know, I come on, I choke people to death, I threaten people, and I loom in the background and just basically be the most evil character in the world. So when Empire came out, everybody was wondering what's what's up with with vader you know so he got he got to really he got to i mean this is literally besides say episode three this is the movie where vader gets to be the most evil it's it's really where he's in full horrible sith mode you know he is i i mean he's just killing off his his generals you know by the handful when somebody fails him, he just offs him as an example. And, you know, as he walks through the ship, people are just in utter fear of him. And he's, you know, he's going after Luke with a vengeance, you know. Right. And, uh, and, 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 yeah, he never really, you never really get to see him as such a full, in his, in his full badness as in this one. And, and it's funny because I've been reading about a lot of the story treatments they come, came up with it, and they were going to make him even more evil. There was one scene in like one of the early drafts of the script, I guess, where after he he you know he comes into the base at Hoth and finds nobody there, and everybody gets away at the last second. He goes back to his sort of you know devilish, hellish cave. He you know some underground cave with fire and lava where he has gargoyles and pet bats and stuff and to go and, you know, 
pray to the dark lords or or to just you know seethe in his own despair <laughs> I'm sort of well, glad that's... they didn't go in that direction actually I, I am too but you know it's funny because uh, that was actually one of my notes uh, of you know I just try to make a short list of, of the things that really stand out to me as the reasons why I, I love this movie and why it's my favorite you know of not only of the Star Wars movies but I mean this is one of my my top favorite movies of all, of all movies you know yeah I mean, really, I, I think this one only comes in second to Superman the movie. I mean, I, I absolutely just love this movie. And one of the things was what you were saying about Vader, because, you know, you, you, if you think back to Star Wars, you know, as cool as Vader was and as dark as he was and everything like that, I never got the feeling that he was the bad guy, because Vader in that one is very much the monster to Peter Cushing's Frankenstein. Right. He's you know, the he's very to much the brains of Exactly, exactly. Yeah, he he's he's the enforcer, you know, he's he's the strong arm guy. But he wasn't really the bad guy. And that's what I like about Empire because he's the dude, you yeah. know. Except for that brief moment where he kneels to the emperor and they have their little moment, he's the guy. And then when you get to Jedi, as much as I really enjoy Jedi, again, he's back into somewhat of a of sub- subservient role. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he's he's playing second fiddle to the Emperor through the majority of that movie. So I really yeah. like his chance to shine in this movie well, yeah. as he, the bad guy. He gets his own st- mega star destroyer, you know, to, to right. tool around in. So, yeah, yeah. he's well, right. you know, Peter Cushing. He made some bad decisions, and uh, and 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 Darth Vader, you know, all through Star Wars, you know, he got some political clout at the end of it because he could say to the Emperor, "I told him this mechanical monstrosity wasn't gonna, you know, not to be too uh, too uh, dependent on it compared to the power of the Force." And you know, the Emperor right. probably said, "Yo, man, I know it. I'm the one who taught you that shit." <laughs> High fived each other and. He said, "Yeah, hey, we got an opening where where Grand Moff Tarkin was. You know, if you're interested." <laughs> he said, "You know, I am, dog." Well, plus, I I like the fact that Vader not only steps up as a character, but was stepped up both visually and audially. Because, you know, one thing I really wouldn't have minded in the special edition treatment for Star Wars is if they had redubbed James Earl Jones a second time, you know, and had him basically redo his lines because, you know, again, as much as I absolutely love star Wars, I really don't like Vader's audio in that movie. It it just comes off a little bit weird to me, especially when you compare it it's to a little thin compared to, to empire. They knew in empire more to give him a little more reverb and, Right and bass end towards it, so he sounded really. I mean, his voice is deep in Empire. Yes. Now I would have liked that going backward. You know, if they had done, you know, gone back and reworked Star yeah. Wars with that really deep, rich James Earl Jones, well, you that's know, Mufasa a, voice. I would have loved it. That's you know? a, that's the kind of stuff I wish they would have. And and when they re, and when they redid Je- Empire for the special edition. For the most part, the stuff they did was like they made the engines on the Star Destroyers look deeper red and more devilish and stuff. I love that stuff. You know, the Cloud City stuff, 
I'm not, you know, I know you're not a big, as no. big a fan of that, it, it, but it didn't bother me. I thought that was, of all three of the special editions, that was the one that was the most tastefully done, you know? that it was. I think but, it was also the most useless, though, because it doesn't add anything, at least, like, as much as I don't like they it. They just had to do it, you know, that's all. They yeah, had to have I, that big set, because, you know, they, they weren't adding a musical number to empire strikes oh, back God. yeah that would have been yeah. the, you know that would have just torn the tone of it apart you know so that so that sort of stupid stuff didn't happen and there was really no there was really nowhere to add you know all sorts of monsters running around or extra stormtroopers and stuff like that i mean really empire was just the the purest special edition because they basically just fixed fuck-ups you know they fix mat shots and stuff well, like that that's part of my problem with that one is that they they didn't really do yeah i know what, they... what needed to be done though i mean yeah they did some of that stuff but there's so much that to somebody like me who has seen this movie over and over and over there are so many glaring things that could use the special edition you know cgi let's mask this out or let's you know change this up or whatever treatment and they didn't do it and wasted the the you know all the resources that they did on what i think are silly cosmetic things you know taking walls out and stuff to make cloud city look airy. i liked cloud city just it was exactly fine, the yeah. way it was i think it was fine i didn't i don't think you needed all the stuff that they did about the only thing they did do it do to it that I really did like was I liked the added Wampa stuff only because they couldn't it get worked. the Wampa to work originally. Yeah. So they went back in and they made the shark work basically. That was cool. They spent a lot of money on Wampas at, for to to for a dead end, you know, when right, that movie yeah. they spent a lot of time. But you know, we're starting to get into the movie and I think uh, maybe we should take a little break and sure. come back in and really uh really dig into the the actual movie itself. No Line Radio presents In the Outer Rim, there lies a forgotten world. Out of time and memory, under siege. And in need of heroes. None of us should have to live like this. Eight will answer the call. A boy and his droid. I am neither yours nor anyone else's. A smuggler and a Wookiee. I see him, Chewie. A mysterious hermit. I'm no amateur, Han Solo. A wizened warrior. Fie upon you, foul feathery fiend. A dangerous beauty. You're on the ground, we're sitting ducks. And a lepus carnivorous. I ain't no rodent. You will soon be nothing. Just one more corpse, twisting in the desert wind. No! So the iron gun didn't take my warning. Yeehaw! You will not have him, beast. Journey back to a simpler era. The time of a new breed. An age of marvels. Our heroes. Our heroes have arrived! No Line Cinemas presents Star Wars. 
Hopper's Marvels. The Star Hopper Solution. Keep firing, Chewie, all of you. It's do or die, because here come the Cloud Riders. A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. Luke, Han, and the princess's story didn't end with the destruction of the Death Star. It continues in The Empire Strikes Back. The next chapter in the Star Wars saga. An epic of alien worlds. And the climactic clash between good and evil. Join the further adventures of Luke Skywalker, Princess Leia, Han Solo, Lando Calrissian, C-3PO, R2-D2, and Chewbacca in a spectacular new episode of the continuing Star Wars saga, The Empire Strikes Back. Coming to your galaxy this summer. Right, we're back and we're digging right into the movie and uh, um, one of the things that I just wanted to say that was a, a, a big deal and, and, and they always used to when the movies would come out of Star Wars and, and Empire and Jedi there would always be a TV special that would go along with it that would show you how they did a lot of the special effects oh and, yeah and one of the big deals in this that was you know one of the big innovations up till up till uh, you know the advent of CGI was go motion yes and this was the first movie to use you know I, th- I believe industrial lights and magic I believe industrial lights and magic sort of happened oh, wait a minute are you talking I think go motion didn't come until Jedi though didn't it because no. isn't that what they used for like the the oh, they used it in Jedi bike but it was yeah. def- it was definitely used. It was definitely invented for the walkers. Oh, okay. All the all the walkers had, um, you know that that they would they would build the model, and instead of building you know just a jointed model, they would build a model with servo mechanisms in it that would move, and they would program through a computer in the gross movements of the of the walker. And the animators would come in and they would animate the, the you know, the guns moving and the, the fine-tuned stuff. Right. But the general movements of it were, were, you know, figured out and recorded in. And what Go Motion did was it straightened out a big problem of stop motion, which was just sort of the herky-jerky look of something that had been frame-by-frame frame animated. What they did was... The, the servo mechanism in the computer would time with the shutter of the camera so that it would be moving 
while the camera shutter would open and close. Right. So yeah, I thought that didn't blur. come along until Jedi because I thought that's how they did the the speeder bike effects to to add a little bit of of blur and a little bit of like you say taking the herky jerkiness out of yes. things. They, they, so that they was an empire that, that they was actually an empire that they that they that they started using that with, with oh, most cool. specifically with the uh, with the walkers. You know, was was to get the walkers and and the tauntaun too. Which was right, a very yeah. complicated, you know. Nowadays, the Tauntaun would just be CGI'd in, but you know, they. If you notice, you don't really see the Tauntaun's feet hit the ground too much in a lot of shots. You'll notice there's sort of a snowbank and stuff, so they could, you know, have the Tauntaun's attachments that were keeping its feet nailed to the ground, concealed and stuff like that. But boy, all that old school special effects—it sure holds up. I think I didn't, it does. I, didn't I was thinking that the, today. I didn't watch the special edition, and no. boy, it's still the the um, you know, drive going through the asteroid field is still just as exciting, and the way the Millennium Falcon swoops and dodges is completely seamless, and and that you know whatever you know i was state-of-the-art technology i mean that was cream of the crop granted at the time but you know we have stuff that blows it away but it's the personality of it it's the design behind it that that makes it work so well still today that kids who were brought up on the you know cgi wonders of the the new three movies could still watch this movie and get sucked right into it you know they're not oh, going yeah. like oh these special effects are so stupid you know it's still just as exciting and cool as it was then, and that's a huge testament to uh, to to Lucas, who was just being he. I mean, he wasn't directing this one; he was just being the mastermind. But I think really, this is the peak of that process of Lucas being the mastermind of him bringing all the talent together and and directing it directing the talent and letting letting the people who are doing their thing do their thing and and it, and it produced empire strikes back and i don't think that dynamic ever worked as well after that <laughs> no no you know? i definitely don't because I, I i really i've always had the impression that kirshner the director you know when when lucas told him you know this is your movie I'm just going to, you know, sit back and let you I think Kirshner took him at his word. Well, well, Kirshner was and, another one. He was like he was tentative about doing the movie and then his agent told him, "No, are you kidding? You got to, you know, you right. got to do this cuz he was like it's a sequel. It just, you know, it can't possibly, you know how sequels are. They can't possibly do as well." And I was listening to an interview with Kirshner and he was, and when when he finally decided to accept it, he said to Lucas, "I want a love story in it. You know, there has to be a love story. There has to be, you know." He basically said there has to be this, you know, this story development between the bad, you know, the bad guy and the good guy. There has to be something going on there, and it's got to be darker. You know, it's got to be. It, 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 it's got to be a darker tone, you know. It's It's got to be more into the story and into the characters than the first one. And Lucas said, okay. And, uh, I mean, those are exactly the reasons that everybody cites for this being the, the best movie. 
Right. You know, most people don't say, oh, it had the coolest special effects. It had the greatest set pieces, although it did. It did, yeah. But, um, you know, everybody says it was it was the dialogue. It was allowing the actors to improvise at points, you know, and, and doing little extra things and having, you know, I mean, one of the greatest lines in romantic cinema ever was an improvisation by Harrison Ford. So, right. You know, it, and and it worked out really well. And I think another thing had had to do with uh, the scriptwriters, which is uh, Lee Brackett and Lawrence Kasdan. And just right. from Lawrence Kasdan's reputation, like you know, the Big Chill and stuff like that, I would think that he was brought in more as somebody to work on the character development and the dialogue, whereas Lee Brackett wrote the the action and the and the you know Rock'em Sock'em story. And boy, right. that that having having a real dialogue scriptwriter really helped. I mean, having awesome dialogue come from people's mouths in it instead of sort of <laughs> what we've well, had you, before and since. You well, know? you know, there's two great ironies attached to this movie that I, I believe, anyway. One of them being that Kirshner, you know, can direct. You know, in my mind, one of the greatest movies ever made with with The Empire Strikes Back, you know, a sequel. And then many years later, do another movie that was a sequel to a, a, a very successful movie. And it's one of the all time worst movies ever made. Which, which one was, was that? Robocop, Robocop 2. Oh, Kirshner so did I, that? Oh, yeah. So Ooh. I think that that's just isn't that an incredible irony? Well, You've let's, got completely let's look opposite at, ends of the spectrum. And there. also, let's look at the script writers for. Oh, yeah. For this and RoboCop 2 being Frank Miller. Right. And there you go. An excellent well, I mean, comic I don't, book oh, writer, I don't, but not much of a movie script writer. I, have right. to say. I mean, I don't lay that solely at his feet like it's solely his fault that it sucked. No, but, there was a know, lot of studio fiddle fuckery going wrong on that one, too. Yeah. I just I, I do find that incredibly ironic. The other thing I find really really ironic. I, I could be wrong. It may not be in the uh, in SPFX, The Empire Strikes Back. But you were talking about those specials that we would always get yeah. attached to a new Star Wars movie coming out, like Making of Star Wars or SPFX. Or there was a there was a Jedi one too. What was it like Creatures of Jedi or something like that? But one of them. There's a, a scene with George Lucas where he's talking about science fiction movies and where they go wrong. And he he has a great quote where he says something to the effect of the problem with most science fiction movies and where they go wrong. And I, I always had the impression he was very specifically talking about Star, uh, Star Trek the Motion Picture without naming Star Trek the Motion uh -huh. Picture. But he said the problem with most of these movies is that they spend so much time saying, look what we built. Look, look at this great set piece we built. You know, look, look at all this stuff that they forget to tell you a story. And I just think that that's incredibly ironic. Yeah. When when you look at, you know, the, the Star Wars prequels, right. I think as as much as I really do dig them. You know, I think that's one of the the major faults with all three of those movies is that they do exactly that. I think they spend an awful lot of time going, look at all this great stuff that that we could build in the computer. You right. know, now now we can show you every facet and every detail of you know World X. 
like we couldn't do in 1977. And, you know, so I, I think that once he had the, the, not only the money, but the ability technology wise to, to show you what was in his brain that that kind of went out the window, you know, that, that thing that he had said originally. So I, I find that very, very funny. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, I, I just had the thought, you know, maybe the prequels would have been a better idea better movies if he had written them gotten them all ready for pre-production and when they went to film he cut his own budget in half and said oh and, and pretended or... like some studio had chopped off their money and then tried to do it that way and maybe I... it would have left a little more to the imagination you know that or I think if he had stayed very hands on with special effects and the technology side of things and brought in a director but brought in another director to actually direct the actors i think that that could have worked but you know here once again we're we're talking about empire yet we we've regressed to talking about that's how it works yeah (laughs) we did that with the comics too and i apologize to to the listeners on that but uh what what else have you got for uh for notes on this well this is this is the the movie where we first realize that the Jedi are fallible and the Jedi are not maybe all the the like perfectly well intentioned you know super maybe they're not all good you know what I mean they're not all like completely valorious you know knights that that, that they might manipulate things a little bit because we find out that Obi-Wan lied to Luke we found out that well, not necessarily. Yeah, well, you know, from a certain point of view. Well, no, but, not even that. Is that at this point, we don't know that Vader has told Luke the truth, right? Yeah, you know, we we know what he said, but I think that's one of the 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 things to talk about as well. For you know, especially for you know younger listeners who have grown up in an era where you can slap all three of these in the DVD and watch the entire saga within six hours. You know, they have to remember that, you know, when we walked out of the theater that first time, it was going to be three long fucking years before we got the answers. And I can specifically remember. there was no DNA test in this movie. Right. I can remember having friends and and knowing people that did not believe Vader. Right. That firmly believed that this was a ploy and that it was going to bear out in the last movie you know that, that well i wasn't one of those friends because no, as soon either. as he was like you know you you uh, you know look inside yourself you know it, it's true and you can right. see luke look inside himself and know it was true <laughs> right. so so at that point i pretty much was thinking well and also if vader was lying then it was it would just sort of be a story cop out mhm so i can remember my uncle john's little sister katie we were right about the same age. And I can remember her basically calling me an idiot for believing Vader. Yeah, you suck. She's like, right, you're, you're going you're, you're to see how wrong you are. It's, it's all a lie. He's just telling Luke that to try to get him on his side. And she firmly believed there was no way that that was true at all. But I'm with you. I mean, for some reason... I couldn't tell you why, but I bought it. It just seemed oh, yeah. to me like, you know, it was logical, if you know what I mean. It just seemed like, wow, that really makes, that's a great it makes, twist. It makes sense in the mythical, it was not forced. Now, no. 
you know, we've we've long maintained that Lucas didn't know in Star Wars that Vader was Luke's father. As a matter of fact, it's definite now because it's funny. Re- this building empire, the guy had a hold of a oh, lot Wait, wait, of- wait. Back, back up a second. You're saying that we didn't... That you don't think he he had it planned in Star Wars that Luke was or that Vader was Luke's father? Right, right. I think he had that planned, but the oh, part no, I never no, no, was because that, in that... Early, early drafts of Empire, when Luke goes into the uh, when Luke goes into the evil the dark tree, his father's in there. His father's described as a tall, handsome oh. man and gives him guidance. And and also his father shows up when Obi Wan does on Dagobah, so even during the early scripts of Empire, they didn't have you know Luke's father was still oh, okay. Obi Wan's was a tall, good looking Jedi Knight that had you know that Darth Vader had killed. Oh, I never had, heard that. Yeah, that's cool. And see, I've I've never bought. I thought what I thought. That's you were why say building that. Empire is such a cool thing. Everybody should go and yeah, download I definitely it. want to see that. Well, I. Uh, the the part I thought you were going to say was that we had never bought that you know Lucas maintains that he always had it planned that that Luke and Leia were brother and sister. Right. I don't buy that, but I you know up until you just said what you said, I I would have bought that he always had it planned that Vader was Luke's father. So that's very interesting that that he didn't. So that seems like right there that that would put the lie to the fact that or you know his statement that. Oh, you know, Luke and Leia were always going to be brother and sister. Well, how would that work? Exactly. Exactly. Well, I guess that you could force it. You could, well, you know, I mean, maybe Luke's dad got around, you know. He's, he's <laughs> a good know. pilot. You know, he's like Tom Cruise in Top Gun or something, you know. Very oh, popular you had with the to go and see that. <laughs> That's the only thing that like, popped to my mind, and, you know, a hot pilot type story. But. It didn't seem forced. It, it it was it was a. I mean, and boy oh boy, what when people walked out of the theater, that was a big deal. Oh yeah, big that's deal. what everybody was the talking game about. Game changer, and uh, and you know that really, you know, I mean, I think that really more set up the specta- the speculation of whether Luke was going to go evil or not. You know, because right. there was definitely that potential, but um. Yeah, the two things it seemed like everybody was talking about was what was going to happen to to Han. Well, there there were re- there were several things really. Was, what what was going to be Han's fate? Was Han going to live or die? Was Leia going to going to you know wh- which guy was she going to choose? Because this was again long before anybody we had sure, any yeah. any inkling that she and Luke were going to turn out to be siblings. So there was still that speculation of. Did she really love Han or was Luke going to get the girl or what, what was going to happen there? There was the, the speculation about whether or not Vader was really telling the truth about being Luke's father. And then the big one was the other, you know, Yoda makes that, that reference to, or well, rather uh, Obi-Wan says, you know, that boy is our last hope. And then Obi-Wan or uh, Yoda says, no, there is another. And, and I can remember that being a big Oh, deal. yeah, that was that a major speculation with you and yeah. I. And I think you and I would uh, – I don't think Leia was really much of a one we brought up. It was most – you know, and I think when they when they wrote that and they thought about it, you know, to introduce an, a new character who would be the hope beyond Luke 
would right. really not work. You know, you can't just take. I mean, Luke was the protagonist. You just couldn't take right. Luke and say, "Well, he didn't work out as the New Hope, so <laughs> here's our newer New Hope." You know, so it right. had to be somebody who was already there. You know. I can remember having it narrowed down, and I think you and I are the ones that came up with the list. And we had it narrowed down to three people, which was Leia, Boba Fett, and I cannot remember who the third one was. Uh, for the it was life of me, I can't... Han, and, but we probably really wanted it to be Boba Fett. Yeah, I, I think what it... Who, I know Leia was on the list, but she was not, like, the, the favorite. You know what I mean? She was yeah. on the list... I think only really for the moment toward the end of the movie when Luke called to her with the Force and she heard him. I think that was the, our reason for why we included her on the list. But we felt like it was sketchy. Right. You know what I mean? We were really favoring two other choices. And damn, I can't remember who the third one was. Now I, I really have no idea. It was no a doy, Yoda's brother. <laughs> well, that's what we read in that stupid magazine. I'll never, ever forget that as long as I live. It, was a, it wasn't even like a reputable magazine like Starlog oh, or something. Off, it was a knockoff, yeah. Yeah, it was, it was just some rag that was, you know, I think it was there was like Star Stories or something like that. Yeah, yeah it was a one, one knockoff issue. type thing. Yeah, it was one solo issue of because some rag. Because if you plastered Star Wars it. on it, we would buy it. Oh, hell yeah. I've, I've got a, a magazine here somewhere that uh it was a poster book that came out and i i, I would be willing to bet I, I bet you that it was a bootleg type of deal where they didn't even have the authorization from uh -huh. the companies because it just it was again it was one of those one-off things that you never saw another publication out of them but it was uh posters and articles about like star trek 3 and temple of doom and stuff like that so yeah star wars got that stuff too you know those one-off rags that would come out have a bunch of bullshit stories in them but we bought it you know oh sure and i remember that yeah there was a great big article in mm -hmm. there who was the other and their front-running favorite was a doy who was going to turn out to be what was he like yoda's twin brother twin or brother and of course and is of course just like all twins the parents named him with you know names that were the opposite of just each other's name spelled backwards yeah and sure. even even as a <laughs> very naive, very gullible child. I didn't buy that shit. For well, a also a doy at that time was uh, sort of something that we said that was the equivalent of duh. Yeah, a doy. Yeah. You know, yeah, so exactly. so we that was very suspicious. Yes. You know, you know why I think this is the coolest Star Wars movie of all. There's not one goddamn scene on Tatooine. <laughs> the only movie in all six movies that doesn't have a god. They only the, you Seven. only hear. So all seven movies, it, and and you only hear the word tattooing once in it. You know they say we'll meet up at tattooing, and that's it. And he says it funny too. Did you ever tattooing. notice that? Yeah, yeah, he does. He says it really funny. But yeah, you're right. That could be the secret to why Empire is great. Is we didn't go to the friggin' dirt planet again. And of course, I watched the old school with the old monkey faced emperor. Yep. And that's another thing is the Emperor wasn't that big a deal in this. I remember we just sort of like, oh, there's the Emperor. He's the ultimate bad guy. But nobody really thought much about him as a character. No, it, I it, definitely did not expect him to be front and center in Jedi the way he was. Yeah. And you know, it's funny. I, this is the first time I've ever had this thought. But, you know, I wonder if that's one of the reasons why Jedi is 
a letdown to me. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love the movie and I really enjoy it. Those are my favorite parts now with the Emperor. Really? Oh, yeah. Especially after the prequels. I love seeing him now, you know, and knowing what a supreme slime ball he was. I mean, in this one, he uh, I mean, Lucas wanted the Emperor to be a mixture of Richard Nixon and the Wizard of Oz. Right. And that's sort of what he turned out to be in general, you know? He was Richard Nixon with the, you know, the man behind the curtain. And That's uh, a good, yeah, that's a good a good way to describe it, I guess. He, he kept that, he kept that in the prequels. And did you know, I never knew this, did you know that they used the way, I always thought it was a guy in lumpy um, makeup, but what they did is they filmed the guy, then they super imposed a chimpanzee's eyes over him. Yeah, I heard about that And then that they recently. filmed it off a of TV. That's what they said they did all the uh, holograms where they filmed them off of TV sets. They would just yeah, they would play I, I the pieces through those. So I thought that was kind of cool. <laughs> and we also find in this one that Jedis love traps. They love them. Luca, you know, that, that's the Jedi thing. If there's a trap, just walk walk right into it that's you know i think that's actually you know they they actually say it in episode three you know uh, you know you know this is a trap you know then you know what we do next we 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 spring it and we find out what's going on you know and that's what luke does at cloud city whether he knows it or not he he knows it by the time leia's telling him it's a trap twice that guy the imperial officer that's uh holding Leia in front of him like as a shield in that part uh-huh and she fights away from him she's like Ugh! and she fights and comes around the corner and she's like Luke don't it's a trap that Imperial officer holding her is Jeremy Bullock who in that same scene is also in the Boba Fett armor right right I always thought that was really cool that you know they, they double actually, duty yeah snuck him in there without his armor just so you could see you know see his face in a in a brief scene i thought that was neat you know who the coolest imperial officer is though or you know bad guy sort of guy in all of empire is and a lot of people have never noticed him maybe even not you but i'm sure you have is at the very end after vader like loses everything and everybody's like oh my god you know and he's walking away and they're all like everybody's you know turning away and not making eye contact with him there's this one guy and he's just holding the clipboard yeah and when vader walks by he just gives him a look like oh there goes darth vader you know meanwhile like the shit's just hit the fan you know everybody's on demotion you know there's probably going to be no shore leave for the next 20 years and this guy just says like huh there he goes. You know, he's some extra, and it's just the weirdest scene. And I'm like, man, that guy is cool as a cucumber. Darth Vader. What's just... really funny is they cut away before you see the the follow up scene of Payet leaving the bridge, doing the uh, "I just shit my pants" shuffle. <laughs> exactly. He's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll he... tell you one of the the things that jumped out to me, you know, because I was watching this. Uh, today and in, in prep for this show one of the the secrets of success i think is and it's it's subtle but it's there is this is where you really see the bonds with these people i mean yeah. you, you see it really forged in this movie i mean you know they they were all thrown together 
in Star Wars, and you saw the beginnings of their relationships. But at the same rate, I mean, Empire could have very easily have picked up the story and Han and Chewie weren't in the movie. Yeah. And I think we would have bought it. I think we would have been like, yeah. okay, well, I can I can see them not sticking around. Yeah. But the fact that they were back and they were in it and they made it work. You know, they, they really... Well, you Harrison see, Ford really made that character work. I mean, yeah. it's really funny. There's one scene in it that I never noticed this before. It's where they're getting buffeted all around in the asteroid field and Carrie Fisher falls in the cockpit. She falls back into his arms and he says something. She's like, it's going to take more than that to, to get me excited. Right. When she says that line, Harrison Ford, you can see him moving his lips along with her. He's saying the line along with her. He's so into the moment of acting it that he's actually like mouthing her line along with her. Oh, I never noticed that before. Yeah, it's, it's worth watching again. I noticed I had to play it like three times. I'm like, oh, my God, he's just like, he, he knows the line so well that he's, he's and they must have done it a few times before that because he's right, he's right there with her, you know? It's really funny. Oh, I have to watch that. And I, I guess I haven't ever really noticed that before. I mean, Harrison Ford's a big saving grace of that movie. <laughs> yes, yeah, very much so. It's funny because I can remember one of the, the criticisms I remember seeing of uh, Return of the Jedi was somebody had said that they, they thought it was a good movie and that the, you know it, it held up with the other movies in the, in the trilogy and all that, and the performances were solid, except for Harrison Ford, who the reviewer found to be wooden. And I never agreed with that. I never saw it really until recent times. The, the more I watched the original trilogy by Jedi, I can kind of see around the edges where I don't think Harrison Ford had the same enthusiasm for the role, especially like he does in, in Empire. No. In Empire, I really feel him. You know, I really think he he's. Oh, yeah. Well, I think he was behind agent. the script. I think Harrison Ford is a script actor. I think he likes. I think. When they're doing an Indiana Jones movie, any movie that Harrison Ford in, he's he's no Michael Caine. You know what I'm saying? He'll he'll right. he 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 vets his scripts and does something he does something that he could sink his teeth into. And and I mean, really, Empire. He really was a main character, and he got to. And at that right. point, I don't know if he was still scrogging Carrie Fisher or if they were like on the end of that. But you know, they had that sort of going on with him too and that was feeding into it and by jedi you know carrie fisher was having her drug problems and i guess a lot of other i think george lucas was probably having a uh, you know he was just not it didn't seem like he was happy with it it seemed well, like he did it not because to mention the the fact that by that point by the time of he didn't Empire, have a lot to do in jedi either really well, as far as a character he wanted to right. die he wanted to die in jedi Right. Yeah, I, I misspoke. I meant to say Jedi. By the time of Jedi, he was well on his way to establishing himself. Because I, I think, you know, maybe I'm reading too much into it. But in a way, I, I, I kind of wonder if maybe he saw the writing on the wall that, you know, the, once this last one's over, you know, if I don't line some shit up for myself, I'm Han I might Solo. not be able to find work because I'll just be Han Solo. You know, he didn't want to get stuck with, you know, George Reeves syndrome where he couldn't do something else, you know? Well, I think he also so, wanted to die because I think the Solo, Han Solo, he was like, the Han Solo character has to die. He has to sacrifice himself. It's it's a, 
it's a thing that puts balance into the story. It's a poetic, you know, end to Han Solo that, that he's been this character up until now has been a very selfish character and he has to do a selfish, selfless act. Not really to redeem himself, because he really, at that point, doesn't have really anything to redeem. But it would just right. have sort of been a balancing end to him. It would have been tragic. And, but, and you know, I think it would have, it would have given him something to do. Because he's really just sort of, his character just is in that movie to be there and to fight and to be in the action scenes. He really doesn't, you know, the whole story is between Luke and Vader and the Emperor and everything well, else is a battle. I, I'm sure that this will come up again when we eventually get to our, our movie discussion of Return of the Jedi, but over the years, I have come to really believe that one of the things Jedi suffer, suffers from is that, I, I agree, I think a sacrifice was called for in that movie. And I don't necessarily agree that it should have been Han. But I think that there should have been... I mean, there's already very strong parallels between um, Return of the Jedi and the original Star Wars, you know, with yes. the whole Death Star thing and things like that. One of the things I think really worked for Star Wars and was really great for Star Wars is that it's not a completely clean victory because we do lose Ben Kenobi. And I think that Jedi should have mirrored that. I think it should have been, yeah, the good guys won... But a price was At paid. They lost yeah. somebody, you know, whether it be Lando or Han or somebody. And I, I always kind of favored Lando because, you to know, redeem I think him. It, but exactly. now as time, go, as time goes by, I see Lando's character less and less as ever even being a traitor. I see Lando as being, he's doing his business there and he's Lando Calrissian and he's sort of like Han Solo but he's more of a man of wits, you know. He's more of a man of right. doing stuff behind the scenes. And all of a sudden, you know, the Empire shows up, and they've got this whole thing brewing, and they just get him between a rock and a hard place. And then Han shows up, and he's got... And, and he does a pretty good job of working the Empire and working Han and giving Han over to the Empire... And all the while, while that's going on, he's thinking of how he's going to turn this thing all around at the end, you know? Right. So he's taking that, you know, if he would have fought the, if, if the Empire would have shown up and he said, no way am I giving up my friend and stuff, they would have just killed him or destroyed his right. his business or something. So he basically sure, I mean, did what he had to do with what he had. And Oh, I, I agree. I mean, I see off. all that now after, you know, 30 years of... Right. of watching this and you know the comics and the books and the lando trilogy of books and all that sort of thing i i totally see that now but uh, you know originally even with the 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 interim of comics you know that three years of of marvel stuff that fleshed out lando's character in the comics still when i walked into the theater to see return of the jedi and the first time we see lando my first gut reaction was you know, there's that son of a bitch and traitor again, you know, and yeah. and so when so when Han comes out of the carbon freeze and never like punches Lando in the mouth or yells at him or he punches or even, him in the feet, punches him square. In, oh, oh, afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. 
you know, so it, it really. Oh no! Surpri- as a matter of fact, he sort of understands that. I don't know if it's. I don't know if it's like, because remember the first really co- real conversation. He has a nice conversation with Chewie. So who knows if Chewie said, "Hey, you know what? Guess what? Lando's." Oh, uh, that's true. That's you true. know, yeah, but that would be a lot of explaining to do in just those few. <laughs> so. What? I feel I'm sorry. But I feel yeah, like you're I've right. He much about Jedi <laughs> yeah. during the Empire show now. But yeah, but you know, you know what I mean. I just I always felt like you're you're probably right that maybe it was just my holding a grudge or whatever against the character. But I always felt like still, I would have thought if he would have died, his we weren't as invested in his character. It wouldn't have meant as much if. But oh, if Han Solo died, boy oh boy, that would have hurt. You know, yeah, you would have felt that. I mean. I could see going with that ending if the the Luke and Leia thing never came, you know, the the brother sister thing never right. came up. If if yeah. Luke was still on the table as a as a viable Love you know interest. guy for her right. to hook up with, then I think the Han sacrifice would have totally worked. But leaving it where okay, now Luke is my brother and Han gets killed. Yeah, nobody I, gets I laid then. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's not much, you know, there's not a, a, a legacy to continue right. on. You know, well, I mean, Luke would have to get himself another girl, I guess. But you know what I mean? I I, I don't know that. Leia would have to go back together. to General Dodonna. Yeah, where is he in this movie? That's one of my notes. You know, where what happened to Dodonna? Oh, he what died happened? of a massive heart attack. <laughs> I don't fucking Was it know. Leia induced? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he, he he actually walked in on... on uh, on um, her kissing Han and Luke in the in the medical room and went off and offed himself after that. He was so depressed. <laughs> he hung himself in a closet yeah. somewhere. Yeah. But for that matter, I meant to do a little research before the show, and I, I totally forgot to get around to this. But, yeah, do we see... I'm, I'm going to have to pay more attention when we get back into the comics. Is Dodonna back in the comics post... Empire? I can't remember. I haven't I don't remember. We'll find out soon enough though because that's what's coming up next. Yeah, we need to look out for him because he was an important character up until Empire you know, in the comics. And then Riken. I can't remember what happens with General Riken because I'm he, he's not in Jedi, right? No, not that I can recall. I can't remember if he's in that, the scene where they do the briefing for the second Death Star or not but I'm almost positive he's not. I'm pretty sure he's not. So yeah, each movie we had basically, you know, we had we had our core guys were all the same, but all the supporting people around the you know the other rebels they changed every you gotta time. Give, gotta give some other nerds a chance to be in Star Wars movies, you know what I mean? Some, <laughs> you gotta give all those character actors a chance. Uh, John uh, John Ratzenberger, oh, of course, you know, was was in this one. But well, there was think... a whole list. There was a list of like six people. That were in that have been in Star Wars movies and Superman movies. There's yep. this whole there's this whole crew of people, and Ratzenberger was one of them. Who's mm-hmm. it has has scenes in common and as bit parts in Superman and Star Wars, which that would be awesome to be just. I would be so happy to be just a bit player in those movies. Wouldn't that be awesome? Oh wouldn't, yeah! Wouldn't you love to be like one of those Norwegian guys who could go, you know, point to the guy who gets blown up on Hoth and go, "That was me." I would. Yep. I would love that. Well, I do think that's cool. We're hitting our thirty-minute mark. I think we should come back and uh, just talk about some of the things that uh, some of the non-movie and non-comic 
elements of Empire Strikes Back, and we'll let you think about what those are while you listen to this, and we'll be right back. No Line Radio presents... Battle is joy. Keep firing, Chewie, or this whole planet is doomed, not to mention us. The cost is rising. Solo! Stay away from her, you monster. And the worst... Look out! ...is yet to come. My people, they're running! If we were smart, so would we. Vengeance. What lies ahead, only one knows. (laughs) For the galaxy, their time is up. You used to be a good man. Desperation brings out the darkest side of all our natures. Please, he will kill me! And the future foretells death. You are skilled at running, but not skilled enough. You're getting my help whether you want it or not. Never send a man out to do a rabbit's job. You! Find a way to bring down that monster! Our hyperdrive is overloading! Shut down the drive! Running away while my entire family dies? Your life ends here. Star Wars Marvels. Desperate Measures. Start saving your quarters. It's almost here. Tron. Coming soon. To two true friends. All right, and we are back from break with the final segment of our coverage of The Empire Strikes Back. Now, you had, uh, we had gone out on a tease the last time. You had said something about discussing the non, what'd you say, the non-movie, non-comics elements of Empire? What the hell are you talking about? Oh, there's a, well, here's one we can think of. Here's something we spent hours and hours and hours into was the Atari 2600 Empire Strikes Back oh game. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Did I put in some crazy fucking hours now, on if, that if, game? Uh, I mean, I, even the kids probably know about this because everybody uses the emulators and stuff, but that... That 2600 Empire game was really cool at the time. And, it was. And because, A, it was the Walker battle. You were fighting the Walker battle. And this was, you know, it would be many, many years before they actually got video games to the point where in Empire Strikes Back you could wrap a, a, a tow cord around the Walkers. And well, you know what was cool about that game to me? All right, the graphics were shit even by 2600 standards i think the graphics in that game were shit but what was cool was that's the first game i can recall that i can think of where say like if you played space invaders right or pac-man if you moved the controller the the character moved or the whatever you were supposed to be if you were a block you moved exactly what the direction was and the amount of you know, force that you exerted. 
But when you played The Empire Strikes Back on the 2600, which, you know, by today's standards, a pretty primitive system. Yeah. You could actually overfly objects. You know what I mean? Like, like you had momentum. Oh, yeah. So, like, when you it had was like the reverse Defender. direction. Yeah. It took you a minute to turn around and, and, and start heading. You know, you actually, you know, like, if you were aiming to the left and you're zipping right along and you realize, whoops, I overshot my thing. When you threw the joystick to the right, it took you a second to actually slow down, change direction, and, and then build momentum back. up the other direction. Yeah, and that was, for the time, I mean, that sounds so whatever nowadays, you know, like, oh, what's the big deal about that? But at the time, that was a big fucking deal because it, it was that step closer to realistic yeah. gameplay. It was great, and uh, and you would just be shooting this little tiny spot. Was it in the front of it, or was it in a tiny? But there was like a little tiny spot. There was a little tiny spot on the front of it and the back of it that you're shooting at, and every once in a while it would open up. And if you fired directly into it, boom, you could get it in one shot. But right, it was quite. It was it was quite a hard game, and we spent a lot of time mastering that and you know now, am i am, am i wrong in in thinking that that was one of the first games with difficulty settings because i can remember when we felt like okay we got this then we changed it to where you would have solid walkers which meant you couldn't you know nor when you played the game normally you you zipped across the screen in front of them sort of in, in front of them and over them and you, you didn't worry about crashing into anything you, you could freely go right through the middle of the screen but if you changed it to solid walkers then if you flew your your speeder anywhere into the section of the screen where the walker was it was like you were crashing into it so then you could you didn't have that range to just zip everywhere you had to actually be careful where you were flying and that was challenging that was that was some tough shit when you did that, and yep. then there was. Uh, I remember. Am I wrong? Wasn't there smart bombs in that? Like like the. I think if you got were. high enough, eventually the the walkers would start launching like, they were like seeker missile. Yeah, type they of were thing, little. Right? They were little flashy things, if I recall right. You're you're yeah. right. And uh, yeah, and it wasn't until, like the early '90s that they really revisited that with the Super NES version of empire which i hate those super star wars through jedi they're so hard but i remember i used to hang around with a bunch of kids i worked with and they could all work that shit and i remember i I remember going over or they might have actually been playing it in our apartment at that time and you know i mean the 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 super nintendo empire strikes back was a scrolling sort of one-dimensional thing but when you got to the walker battle it automatically became 3d from the perspective of of your snow speeder and you oh could wow fly see around. i never got that far yeah, into the game yeah, you have to get that. you have to get like a good ways into the game and it was like a, a big treat part of the game that you would get to that part and you could actually do the tow cables and and then when then when you got into like um Oh, what was it called? Rogue Squadron. When they would make the Rogue Squadrons, yeah. and they really got into 
where when you were battling walkers, it was almost like a computer simulation, and that was awesome. Oh, I was so happy when you yeah. could do that. I'll never forget the first time playing Rogue Squadron, and you go to it's almost like a like a missing scene. Yeah, in The Empire Strikes Back, because you're a different character, but you go into that like cut scene that's the Battle of Hoth, and yeah, like you say, you get you get to actually you know, harpoon the, the walker legs and wrap them up. And, oh, yeah, I'll never forget playing that. I was like, wow, this is awesome. Was, that was but, when I was like, finally, video games have gotten to the point of where I want want them to be, you know, as a, as a full simulation. But do you remember this game was ultra rare? And I really don't hear a lot of people talk about it. So it, it may have been ultra rare everywhere, but I know it was really ultra rare where we grew up was you had Star Wars. And if you were lucky, you could find like the sit-down version of Star right. Wars. You know, did the Battle of the Death Star. With the vector And then there graphics. was that awesome, yeah. There was that awesome Return of the Jedi one that had like the speeder bike controls where you flew through the forest and all. Yes. Which but would... there was there was a an Empire Strikes Back Which video I have game. never seen. You've never seen it? Never seen it. It See, must it be rare. really yeah, it was really, really rare, and it was done in that same vector graphics Ooh. style of Star Wars. And it had, I'm trying to remember, I think it had three levels. Yeah, it had three levels. The first level was, no, it had uh, had four levels. The first level is you're flying along in your speeder, and probots are attacking you. And you had to fight your way through I the I have pro- played that. Yeah. And then there was a part where you battle walkers and you're, you're pretty much flying like head on at the walkers and you basically had to dodge fire and stuff. And then there was a, um, a, uh, asteroid field level with, I can't remember if the tie fighters were in the asteroid field level or if there was a tie fighter level and then an asteroid field level. I can't remember, but those were the three or four levels there were to the game. And in that, that was the one where you had to actually collect letters that spelled out something. It spelled like Jedi or something. I think it like was that. Jedi. Yeah, and man, I I couldn't play that game worth a shot. I was good at Star Wars up until a particular level, like when they really started throwing all those like gantries and stuff into the Death Star trench, yep. and it got really tricky. I was good at that game, but that Empire one, I could only I could usually clear the board one time, and then somewhere in the second board, you know, the second level, I'd get killed because i just wasn't that good at it but man that game was hard to find i think i only ever played that as an actual coin-op game once or twice anywhere it wasn't until i found it on an emulator that i really was able to play it with any you know frequency at all and uh that that was a pretty cool game though but what i liked about all of those arcade games and especially that uh super empire you were talking about for the super nes was if they got one thing right, it was the music. Yeah. Even if it was the digital kind of tinny music, at least it sounded right. Right. You know, it sounded like a pretty faithful adaptation of, of Williams' music. And that was another great thing about Empire was its soundtrack. Yes. It was, absolutely. Uh, of course, it was the last of the Star Wars films. You know, not, nowadays they probably, the DVDs would have been double vinyl but you know or the cds i mean cds but mm-hmm. um it was a lot it, it was the last one to come out in that beautiful you know 
double record gatefold sleeve all the yep. pictures inside and boy oh boy did i love that soundtrack you know we've we've talked about this before but yeah i played the hell out of that soundtrack and the soundtrack to that that movie was richer um introduced so many great themes and textures to the whole star wars universe and while still sounding like star wars it was, you know it was i i so own awesome. yeah in my in my collection i own hundreds i don't know possibly by this time it might even be possibly thousands i'm not even sure how many soundtracks i own anymore but just hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of soundtracks and of them all that's my second favorite one. Second, second only to another John Williams, which is Superman the movie. But I love The Empire Strikes Back. It's just perfect as a as a soundtrack. I love that score. It it was just phenomenal, and it was so great that that he didn't simply just recycle Star Wars, which he could have easily done. You know, he could have easily just phoned it in and taken Star Wars and slightly reworked it and it, it, you know, called it a score, but he didn't. He, he very purposely created an, an entire, you know, brand new score that still maintained the flavor. And I mean, that's fantastic. I can't think of very many other film series that were that successful with making a, a no, an entirely he, he came brand up new with a theme score. that was just as i icon- it's probably the 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 you know the imperial march mm-hmm. is probably one of the most i mean there i mean metallica's done a cover of it um if you listen to there's a lot of if you listen to like alex jones the conspiracy theory radio, radio guy you know every bumper is bam 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 it's the universal evil on the march Right, music. I hear now. that at sporting events a lot. Yeah, they, they play that, but you know, at the you know, when nothing's going on while the you know the players it's are changing blood or, pumping or whatever. Oh, yeah, it's awesome. I use it as my theme music when when I work nights at my bar and I'm having a really <laughs> shitty night. Of course, I've got I've got my stormtrooper hoodie sweatshirt, and when I'm in the kitchen, I'll walk out. I'll put uh, and we have a. Um, internet jukebox there right and there's invariably like a song on there or something so i go on i put mine in i am i select the imperial march and then i wait in the kitchen and the great thing about the imperial march is when it comes to the sound system it's louder by a great margin they have to turn down <laughs> the speakers because the this the file that it downloads is so loud and i'll be in the kitchen and i'll just hear dum and I'll march right out of the place, you know, and if flipping off the appropriate people and out the door. So when people hear that, they know that the kitchen is closed. <laughs> I love it. You know, I, I, that scene in the movie itself where they realize, oh, shit the empire more than likely knows we're here now. And it's, you know, we've got, I think that scene ends with Riken saying something about, you know, we need to start the evacuation and then it goes to the empire. We see the empire, you know, the Imperial fleet for the first time. And first we see TIE fighters and star destroyers. And then that giant shadow starts to come across 
a Star Destroyer, which up until this point is like the biggest ship we've seen. And then we see the Super Star Destroyer. And that theme comes in and just pumps it. That just, oh man, that's a fantastic moment of that movie. Gets me every time yeah. I watch it. And uh, an- that- another good thing about Building Empire is the guy splices in a lot of the music that had been cut out. He restores a lot of like stuff that had been bumped out or, you know, mm-hmm. uh, from a lot of the alternate soundtrack. So you get to hear that music in the context of the movie, which is great. Uh- I was thinking about that today as I was watching it because uh, one of the versions I have, it's uh, I'm not sure where I got it. I downloaded it on the internet somewhere. It's not exactly a fan edit. It's it's really, um, I don't know how you would describe it. It, it. It's it's fan produced, but it's not edited or anything like that. It's not like a it's, special that, that guy thing. Did a, he did a start. His name's Andaman or something like that. Oh, I don't know. The guy, this, he this sort one... of cleans up the color. He he restores the the music to it, and no, this one here is pretty much. Um, you remember, right before the special editions were announced, they released the movies one last time. It, it was the ones that got all the promotion. You know, the original trilogy, one last time, yeah. and all that. You know, and they put them out on like laserdisc and shit. And so it had like the enhanced sound and all that. This is that version, but then it has some some extras that were thrown in too. And one of the things it has is you can play it in an alternate track and it's just the soundtrack. So you're watching the movie with just the music. It's really cool. But one thing I noticed about it, and it kind of bugged me a little, in a certain kind of way it's kind of neat, but in another kind of way it kind of bugged me a little bit, is that when you turn it over to the alternate soundtrack, if it goes into a scene that was scored, but then the music wasn't included, it includes that music. So like if you watch the scene with uh, R2 and 3PO, at the mouth of the rebel base and, and they're fretting about Luke and, and R2's using his radar dish and all that to try to find Luke in the, in the finished film, there's no score to that. Right. It's, it's just them and the, and the sound effects, but there, that scene actually was scored and not used. So in this alternate thing, the way I can watch it, that scene has music under it. And I kind of wish that I could just change it over and, and you would only hear the music that actually winds up in the finished film. But anyway, as I was watching that today, it occurred to me that, you know, this that's another kind of parallel in, in some ways to Superman the movie is Superman the movie is another example of where Williams had a lot of stuff he scored that wound up on the album, but is not actually used in the finished film, which is one of the reasons I like the, the KCOP bootleg so much of that movie because the full score got restored to it. But it's funny. I I really like that with Superman, the movie yet the cuts that were made to empire. Most of them, I agree with most of them. I think do kind of throw the scenes off a little bit. It's easy for me to see why why those cuts were made in most of the examples where where music was cut. I, I don't know where why that is. Why I like one and I don't like it in another, but I don't know if I go. like it or don't like it. I think it's just very interesting to see it to is. see and hear because 
you know, I look at that version as a alternate, you know, I can always pull out the DVD and watch the D old school DVD version of it. If, if I want to, if I want to get it without that extra music, but it's neat to see it with the extra music. Another thing I wanted to bring up about Empire, and this is something that I saw was a sore point for me because I totally lacked this as opposed to Star Wars was toys. Prepare to receive cargo. Kenner's Slave One comes with frozen Han Solo. Is Han Solo completely frozen Stormtrooper? Yes, Boba Fett. Action figures each sold separately. Place them in the prisoner retention unit. Slave One has a rear loading ramp. Prepare for takeoff. Check. Movable cannons and gravity-operated wings that trigger lock. On to Jabba. Slave One with frozen Han Solo from Kenner's Star Wars The Empire Strikes Back collection. Action figures each sold separately. Yeah, you know, I, I was just about to brag that, you know, I was I was bragging to Scotty, as a matter of fact, today, because when he came home from school, he caught me watching Empire because I had just started the movie. And so we sat and we watched most of it together. And there was a part during the, the battle on Hoth where I pointed out some detail or other about, uh, oh, I was talking about snowtroopers. How I, the, the snowtroopers, I think, if I had to pick a favorite trooper armor it would probably be the snow troopers i just always thought that they were really awesome but another one that i really liked because i liked the action figure was the adat driver which you know yeah. i never noticed it before but you really don't get a solid look at the adat driver in the film itself you had to have the figure to really appreciate how cool they looked because they were really like a essentially they were a tie fighter pilot but they just had a different coloring that was much brighter and, and everything. So it was like a cross between a, a a fighter pilot and a snow trooper. And I just really liked the the coloring and the and the colors design and scheme that they had. But they were a really cool one too. But anyway, I was bragging to him that you know I had the figure to that guy and I had the figure to that guy. And I got to thinking, I think, except for a couple odd figures like the Ugna and a couple ones right. like that, I think I had just about every empire figure and i was gonna brag i was gonna say that oh you know i had all the vehicles and all but now that i think you about really it really no, didn't was, have that many of them if no, i recall no i didn't because i always wanted the dagobah playset and never uh -huh. got it and i always always wanted an ad at and never did get yep. an ad at so no i i had i had some weird ones i had you know of course the the famous trading the dewback for a tauntaun i had the stupid tauntaun and i had uh I had the cloud car. I love oh, the cloud car. Oh, yeah, that's right. You did have the cloud car. car. Had the slave one, which I still own. That's that the one Star Wars toy I kept when I sold my collection was I kept my slave one and I kept all my bounty hunters, but that I got rid of everything else. And you know that I that's about it. I can't what else from Oh, you know what I had? That was awesome. And I, I saw they came out with a Lego version of this a year or so ago that I, I, I want to get before it disappears from stores just to have it. Do you remember the uh, turret and probot play set? Yes. Yeah, I had that. I remember awesome. I remember the ads for it were great. Yeah. <laughs> and just it was just a heads up is now that you mentioned Lego, I know this is a slightly off topic. But for everybody out there in the toy stores now, go to the Easter toy section. 
where they have Easter basket toys and you can get Star Wars Lego vehicles for three fifty. Oh, they're in wow. the, they're in little plastic like blister bags, you know, they're just a baggie full of parts. But they've got at least they've got like a um Clone Wars troop, you know, transport ship and they've got an X Wing. As far as I know. I don't know if they have any other ones. Those were the only two I saw. But they're not in with all the other Star Wars toys. They were sort of stuck in in the in the Easter section because they're made to go in your Easter baskets. But that's a that's really cheap for Lego for a Lego kit. They're small ones, but they're neat, you know. So just heads up. Well, you know, while we're pointing out the uh, <laughs> the blue light specials, um, I was talking to uh, Biblio Mike. And he told me that he scored the Star Trek Scene It game for two dollars, and I think he said it was Barnes and Noble or uh, Borders, one of those places. And I just want to throw it out there: if anybody in the listening audience can score that game yeah, for me it, for two bucks, I will gladly yeah, buy pay multiple you back copies. I'll buy one too. I would love to have a version because we could do we could do trivia then. If we got enough people to buy that set for two bucks, we we could have another trivia game yep. one night. So yeah, I'd love to do that. Unfortunately, well, gotta... they never did an Empire Christmas special <laughs> for us to rip on, <laughs> which would have been fun. I don't know which it would. Maybe it would have taken place on Hoth with the uh, with the Wampa family, and and we found out at the end that Hoth was really like the North Pole, where Santa Claus lived. <laughs> Would have been awesome. <laughs> Why was there never Rip Taylor would have been in it? <laughs> yeah, right. Why were there never sequels to Hardware Wars? I wanted to see a Hardware Wars version of The Empire Strikes Back. Well, that's funny because that guy, I think his name was Fastbinder. Uh, um, you know, he really humped that thing. You know, you would have think, you would have thought. I mean, after he did that, he did a. Uh, a rip on Apocalypse Now called Pork Lips Now, and he did uh, Close Encounters one that I can't remember the name of. It's like Closet Encounters of the Nerd, Nerd kind, kind or something, or something like, that. That, like that. And yeah. you know, he was like, "Okay, this is my thing. I'm gonna make fun of movies like this." You would have thought it would have been a no-brainer at that point because Hardware Wars was a big hit. So, yeah, oh, yeah. It, it, it just never happened. He never came back with anything until he did the Hardware Wars Special Edition, which was hilarious, I might add. But I got one for you. While we were talking a little bit before about the uh, the unsung heroes or the guy the guys behind the camera, here's a name: Ben Burke. And I think Ben Burt freaking knocked himself out oh, yeah. with The Empire Strikes Back to a point to where even Siskel and Ebert, when they did their Empire review, pointed out, the sound wow, design. the sound in this movie. You know, that I remember that being one of their big comments because the clip I remember them showing on their show was the beginning of the confrontation between Luke and Vader in the carbon freezing chamber. And it's that part where... Luke comes up on the little hydraulic lift and then the thing latches behind him and suddenly you hear Vader's respirator come up.
The Force is with you, young Skywalker. But you are not a Jedi yet. The sound, I mean, if you listen to that in surround sound, it's just freaking awesome. Well, guys and are, I, guys who are uh-huh. sound technician engineers like Ben Burt, they have, A, they have whole libraries of pre-canned sounds that belong to, you know, whoever they're working for by copyright because they pay a licensing fee on them, like the BBC sound effects and stuff like that. Plus, they have their whole library that they've amassed over the years as a sound guy of all the sounds they've gotten. But for Empire, Ben Burt, Lucas specifically requested that Ben Burt do all the sound effects from this from scratch. Source them all out from from brand new. And he did. He went out and... And, you know, I'm sure, like, Chewbacca and stuff like that he used old stuff for. But he went and, you know, he did... And, of course, they spliced in the the obligatory Wilhelm screams. But (laughs) for the most part, he did this all from scratch. And, man, I mean, what an amount of work just for the normal... I mean, just uh, one thing I noticed sound-wise, and it was a very non-sci-fi thing, was with the the sound that the probot made when it crashed and its echo right and it had that crackly edge of an echo that's going through a wintry air you know it wasn't right. just a boom it was a boom followed by that very distinct echo of some pl- something happening in a cold you know cold type of environment and you know, those are little details that you don't really notice consciously, but just make it real. You know, they, they, he, and that's what he does. He makes it real. I mean, that's, he got, he got a lot of, uh, a lot of props when, uh, he did the sound design for Wally. I noticed right. the critics would bring him up. And I think a lot of that had to do with that. He would get really, I mean, his name became, not a, ho- a household name with us when we would see those those made for TV specials because it you know they would bring him right out and he would be like hi I'm Ben Burton this is how I made Chewbacca right and uh, that was just fascinating for me and and that was funny that was the word I was just going to use is I, I was you know here you're talking to a freaking sound designer and we were kids between 9 and 12 years old yep. you would think that we'd be bored stupid no. listening to some guy talk about sound design but i was like you Mesmerized. say fascinated i was yeah this was i mean i wanted to do that seriously we, for the we longest did. We time went out as a with kid, tape recorders to... and and would record we would whack on power pole cables and yeah, throw rocks at, yeah. in water and smash things up and we would tape it all because we would watch them do it on those shows that's true that's absolutely true somewhere or other i still have an entire tape you know cassette tape full of you and i out in the woods 
like making laser bolt sounds from guy wires. And I, I that, remember that time we threw that tractor tire off the bridge. Oh, yeah. It had that giant splash. I recorded oh, that. Oh, yeah. Some, somewhere I have a tape of I that. I remember we would listen to that splash over and over because it was just awesome. The way that tire hit the water, it made that perfect splattery, splashy noise. Yep. Somewhere there's, if you still have it, there was a recording of, it's probably too painful to listen to now, of you and I destroying those awesome vintage Mego figures oh, of yours. Uh, yeah, somewhere. Yeah, there's a tape somewhere called Smashing Superheroes, and yeah, I'm sure I still have it. And I, There was another one we had that was called something like Knocking Down Trees or something, where we actually, we literally went out in the woods and we'd find like rotted trees and knock them down which and make record a great that noise. sound. They make a great yeah. splintering, breaking, rotted noise. Yeah, it's awesome. Yep. Now I want to start. Now I want to get like a little portable recorder and start doing that stuff. I wish <laughs> that was one of the cool things about living in that hick ass town is you could go in the. You know, I can't go in the woods and find some place to throw rocks and smash things up. You could yeah. probably. Now what the hell else was there to do where we grew up but go out in the woods and knock fucking trees Destroy. down? That's how bored we were. <laughs> <laughs> destroy, oh, man. destroy, destroy. Ah, yes. Well, I don't really have much else on this one other than uh, really the only other note I had was, and, and we talked briefly about this uh, at some point in the past, was about, you know, again, owing back to the, the era it was that this movie came out and when we were kids and all that, you know, this being the days before videotapes and the days before DVDs was just going to see this movie over and over and over. And and what stands out to me every time I watch this were the little things that we went to see it over and over again. You know, of course, it was the the dramatic sequences that you couldn't wait to see, like, you know, the battle on Hoth and the uh, asteroid field and Luke and Vader fighting. fighting. But a lot of times it's the little things that would keep you coming back because, you know, that that half a second glance at, at the chicken walker or the back of Vader's head or, you know, the TIE pilot that, that, you know, when the, the asteroid smashes his TIE fighter. You see the body tumble past the screen for just a split second. Yeah, or looking Stuff for the like potatoes that. in the asteroid field. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. To this day, I still don't know where the sneaker is in the, the battle one. of, of uh, Endor. Oh, Endor, right. You know, when they, when they have the big battle I believe at the, the end, guy some... isolates it in Return to Jedi. I think I've he, got to see that. He isolates I, the potatoes in uh, Empire. Oh, he puts really? a little white mat around them so you can see them coming by. I've got to see that because it, it's driven me crazy, you know, for, for what now? You know, another couple of years and, and Return of the Jedi will be 30 years old. For So for nearly 30 years, I've watched that movie over and over and over. And I still can't spot the friggin' sneaker, so I, I've got to know where is this goddamn sneaker? I've got to see it, you know? I'll probably end up being disappointed. I'll probably be, like, microscopic, and I never could have seen it anyway yeah. or something like yeah. that, something silly. You know, like the Millennium Falcon in whichever the hell prequel movie that is. Episode I never would have seen that if somebody hadn't pointed that out to me. But, uh... But, yeah, what do you think? We done with, uh... Yeah, I just... I, I would just like to sum it up by saying I think Empire is really 
truly one of the last great golden and and it's funny because it's really an independent film if you think about it oh yeah but it was one of those really just the last truly um classic golden hollywood adventure movies that had the whole gamut of you know charismatic actors well written an epic storyline the way it was filmed they're, they're making movies like that now but it's that it's really an old fashioned movie you know and it's solid yes. It's it's got the solidness to it and it's got a depth to it that 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 action movies don't have action movies almost purposely avoid that depth these days and it's just one of the titans of the the whole movie history as far as i'm concerned even even as it cinematically it overshadows star wars you know not historically really in in film world but as a piece of cinema it's just awesome you know it's the gone with the wind of science fiction fantasy movies Absolutely. Yeah, I'll absolutely agree with that. And I agree with what you say. It's it's done in a very old Hollywood style, you know, because even even Jedi, I think, is closer to Jedi feels a little 80s. Yeah. Jedi's got a little bit of the 80s in it, you know, whereas whereas Empire is truly timeless. It's true. There's parts of it that you look at it and and you almost think Technicolor, you know, it's just got that. Or or if it was put out, you know, in an earlier time, it would have been in Cinerama or, you know, Cinemascope or something like that, you know. Right. But, you know, you look at a modern movie, particularly like a modern science fiction movie or, or adventure movie or something. And granted... We're older, and we approach things from, I think, a more cynical, a more analytical standpoint. But I think it's very indicative of modern movies. You look at them, and it, you're easily pulled out by little things. You can see, I mean, to me, it's perfectly glaring a lot of times when I'm watching a movie where the Hollywood studio fiddle fuckery was with it, right. where somebody said, we need some product placement. This is where we want to spawn an action figure line out of. We haven't had a catchphrase yet. You better throw a catchphrase in there yet. Exactly. And I don't feel that with The Empire Strikes Back. No. It it has that classic, like you say, that classic Hollywood movie An earnest desire to tell a story and to make you care about the characters. Rather, the the dazzle, the, the razzle dazzle is all there. But it is an enhancement, and it's a it's a means to propel the story, and and it and the story is being propelled forward, and those that razzle dazzle makes it, you know, overwhelming. That's what made it such a, a an experience rather than a passive movie watching thing. But right. but all that would have been, you know, all thunder and and lightning without all the stories and the characters and the actors and everything selling it, you know, and everything 
moving it and you know the mo you know the the emotional center being you know luke and it finding out vader's his father and stuff rather than being the huge battle at the end you know there isn't a huge battle that that and sorts things out at the end you know right it, it leaves on a pensive downer note you know that people bitched about yeah. but boy it just nobody's topped it that's that's what i i loved about it was that it, it does end you know it, it, it's so atypical for movies of its time for for especially for you know an adventure movie for for a movie about heroes and villains that the heroes don't win right you know that that was another one of those things that had people talking that oh my god you know here star wars is the ultimate you know farm boy made good story you know he he goes out yeah, there and at good the end guys, of the, bad the, guys yeah, you know the 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 cow, you know the cowboys in their white hats and the bad guys in their black hats yep. and they have a big fight and at the end the good guys have won. And the Empire Strikes Back takes that formula and completely throws it on its ear because at the end of it the good guys have got the shit kicked out of them. Yep. And you're you yep. walk away from that movie going, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, wait, what?" They're limping. The good guys didn't win. They're limping home with their tails between their legs. And yeah. and like the only modern analog I can think of it is like Lord of the Rings. Yes, as and the middle, you know, the middle chapter being the the probably the greatest one of that too, but the thing where that why that doesn't stand as highly as Star Wars is because of just the sheer scope of it. It wasn't as intimate as Star Wars, right? And I think that's where the modern prequels suffered too. Is there's too many characters, too many things for you to you know to really uh, I mean especially with Lord of the Rings it was just too much going on you cared about the characters but you know it was spread out amongst a lot of characters you know and but with I mean with with Star Wars you're you just you know you're intimately involved with all of them and even by the end of Empire you're really into Yoda and you know Yoda too you know you've gotten another character added to it so yeah, nobody's nobody's come up with characters to rival Star Wars, and I think nobody will ever come up with anything to rival Star Wars until they use that as a, a starting point, rather than because plenty of movies have have outspectacled it since then, but almost none with the style and panache. I just wanted to say <laughs> panache. Panache! Star Wars got charisma. <laughs> Visit our website at twotruefreaks.libson.com. Twotruefreaks.libson.com is spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S dot Libson, which is L-I-B-S-Y-N dot com. You can email Two True Freaks directly at twotruefreaks at gmail.com. You can find me, Scott Gardner, both on Twitter and Facebook. My name is spelled S-C-O-T-T. 
G-A-R-D-N-E-R. Two True Freaks is a very proud member of the League of Comic Book Podcasts. For more information, visit comicbooknoise.com slash league. We are also members of the Comics Podcast Network. You can check it out at www.comicspodcasts.com where you can hear our new episodes when we put them up. Thanks for listening. Join us every Monday for new episodes of Two True Freaks. Two True Freaks has been brought to you today by Damanzo Corps of Milan, Italy, and by the letters F and U.